Thank you, sir. Old Testament today. Most of us dwell over the in the New Testament. I'm going back to the Old Testament today. And bring the book of First Kings. That'll be a clue to you that there's a book of Second Kings as well. And I'm in the first book of Kings in the 18th chapter. Speaking about idol worship and about false gods and about people 3,000 years ago who were just like you and me, except they dressed just a little bit different. But they had the same yearnings, the same desires, the same temptations that we do. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is it you, you troubler of Israel? And he answered, I've, I've not troubled Israel, but you have in your father's house, because you've abandoned the commandments of the Lord and, and followed the Baals. Now therefore send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel, and the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and, and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people, and he said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then, then follow him. And the people did not answer a word. Then Elijah said to the to, to people, I, even I only, am left a prophet of the Lord, but, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us, and let them choose one bull for themselves, and cut it in pieces, and lay it on the wood, but put no fire to it. And I'll prepare the other bull and, and lay it on the wood and, and put no fire to it. And you call on the name of your God, and I'll call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people answered, it is well spoken. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first, for, for you are many. And call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. And they took the bowl that was given them and prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they limped around the altar that, that they had made. And at noon Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for, for he is a god. Either he is musing, or he is relieving himself, or he is on a journey, or perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gush, gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation. But there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come near to me. And all the people came near to him. And, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took twelve stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench around the altar, as great as it would contain two seahs of seed. And he put the wood in order, and cut the bull in pieces, and, and laid it on the wood. And he said, Fill four jars with water, and, 
and pour it on the burnt offering and, and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. And at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that, that you are God in Israel, and I'm your servant, and I've done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their backs heart, that you turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Let not one of them escape. And they seized them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slaughtered them there. My father, words from long ago and far away. Terms in there that we, that we probably don't know, very foreign to us. But Lord, the truths they convey are not foreign to us. In fact, the truths that they convey slap us in the face. Come, Lord Jesus, open, open your word and open our hearts to receive it that we might endure, indeed declare that the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Oh, may it be so, Lord. May it be so. Amen. At a social gathering some years ago in a distant town, a man approached a very elegantly dressed woman. He said, you are wearing the most gorgeous diamond pendant that I have ever seen. The woman thanked him for the, for the compliment. And she said, well, in, in fact, this is the Erdogan diamond, and there's a curse that comes with it. When the man heard her say that, just like you and I would, he was, he was curious, he, he wanted to know. So he asked her, he said, ma'am, what's the curse that comes with the Erdogan diamond? The lady looked at him and she said, the curse that comes with the Erdogan diamond is Mr. Erdogan who gave it to me. <laughs> now, now we laugh. But that little anecdote contains an uncomfortable truth. And the uncomfortable truth is this. We often pay a very high price for things. Hear it again. We often pay a very high price for things. Tuck it away. Let's consider that in our time together today. My text for today recounts a dramatic event that took place on the slopes of, of Mount Carmel, approximately 3,000 years ago. However, it is far more than a story from, from Israel's distant past. 
Because you see, this, this passage of Scripture conveys a message that is as up-to-date as this morning's news. You see, the ancient pagan gods still tempt us. Baal, the god of fertility, who was worshipped in sexual excesses, is, is still wreaking havoc amongst us. Mars, the god of war, still talks, still stalks the earth, prompting us to use bombs and, and, and bullets. Bacchus, the god of the vine, has a presence so strong amongst us that we build altars to him. We call them bars. Venus and Cupid, the gods of love. They're still whispering in many ears that something that feels so good can't possibly be bad. Minerva, the god of wisdom, still assures us that we're wise. Oh, we're wise. And, and we can make it through this world by ourselves. Now, to get the point, friends, the ancient pagan gods are still with us, and they speak our language. So as we unpack this text from 1 Kings this morning, we're going to be looking at the temptations and the choices that confront each and every one of us each and every day. Let me quickly recount the, the event that took place there. There's one prophet of the Lord God Almighty. His name is Elijah. There are 450 prophets of the false god, Baal. The people of Israel are faced with a choice. Which god are they going to worship? The Lord God Almighty or the false god, Baal? And to help them make their choice, a contest is proposed. The god who sends fire to consume the sacrifice that's being offered will be the god of the people of Israel. The prophets of, of Baal go first. They start early in the morning and they continue nonstop right on up into the, into the afternoon. They work themselves in a frantic frenzy, trying to call out to, call out to Baal, trying to get his attention. They, they dance and they hoop and they horn and, and, they, and they rave and, and they even slash themselves with, with knives. Around noon, Elijah taunts him. He says, maybe, maybe he's taking a nap. Maybe he's gone on a trip. Y'all just, just need to yell louder, see. And on it goes. But Baal does not respond. And then around 3 o'clock in the, in the afternoon, Elijah calls all the people of Israel and asks them to come around to direct their attention to him. They watch Elijah as he uses 12 stones to repair the, the altar that the Israelites had let, had fallen into disrepair. They watch as Elijah prepares the sacrifice and places it on the altar. They watch as Elijah stacks the wood all around. They watch as he digs a trench around the whole thing. And then they watch as he, as he has the the sacrifice and the altar and the wood has it drenched with water. 
Not once, not twice, but three times. Put so much water on there that it, that it runs off and fills the trench that he dug all the way around it. Why did he put the water on there? Because he didn't want the people thinking that in some kind of ruse that he had a, a match hiding under there and he could start it up. So he wet the whole thing down. No human being could start that fire. And then after he had everything ready, Elijah said a prayer. See? And when he finished that prayer, fire came down from heaven. And it consumed the sacrifice and the altar and the, and the wood and the dirt and the water. Consumed it all. And when the people of Israel saw it, they fell on their faces. They made their choice. They said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Now, what would the Holy Spirit hope that we would, would glean from this amazing encounter on Mount Carmel. Well, I think the overriding theme of, of the passage that, that the Holy Spirit would surely want every one of us to walk away with this morning is, is this. The false gods of this world will always let us down. Oh, see, the false gods of this world are incapable of meeting our needs. They can't satisfy us. No way in the world. Neither can they sustain us. True story helps make the point. After four years of combat in World War II, a man came home, worked hard, started his own business. Business grew, made him wealthy. When he was in his mid-50s, he had to have open-heart surgery, but that went well. And then some five years later, he was diagnosed with cancer. The doctors told him that cancer had spread throughout his body. There was nothing they could do. He needed to get his affairs in order, and he needed to do it quickly. The man went into a deep, deep depression. He poured out his heart to his minister. He, 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 talked, to, he talked about how he had worked so hard and, and how he had just finally gotten to the place where he could really, really enjoy himself. Talked about his life. Talked about his faith. But mostly he, he talked about his business. The man died soon thereafter. The death certificate said that the cause of death was cancer. But his pastor knew otherwise. His pastor knew that the man had died for all intents and purposes the moment the doctors told him that he would no longer be able to work at his business. During the funeral, the pastor said that he suspected that the man never knew that he was saved by the grace of God. Not, not because of what he was worth, but just because God loved him. As the pastor was speaking, tears were running down his face. Because you see, the pastor was the man's son. I wonder, 
has your business or something else you're passionate about in your life has become an idol to you? If so, please be warned, friends. The false gods of this world will always let us down. Though the false gods that we follow are, are, are not made of wood and stone like the idols were in Elijah's day, they're just as false. Why? Because they cause us to trust in something other than the Lord God Almighty. And, and here's, a, here's a huge fact. The false gods that we follow are far more subtle than those statues of wooden stone from Elijah's time. Because see, the false gods that we follow are power, status, and money. And moreover, we don't sacrifice animals to those false gods, no. We sacrifice ourselves. Friends, do you, do you realize that personal greed fuels the economic engines of contemporary Western life. Personal greed. It's true. Do you realize that growing our economy depends on expanding personal consumption? It's true. And the advertising gurus, oh, they know it, and they stoke that greed all the time. I read recently that the, that the average American family is exposed to over 1,600 advertisements every day. Every day. Robert Maynard Hutchinson seems to have pinpointed the, the fact that, that most of us don't want to admit. He writes, our prosperity results in part from a new way of getting rich, which is to buy things from one another that we do not need at prices we cannot afford on terms we cannot meet because of advertising we do not believe. It's true. And why do we do that? It's because the false gods of power and status and, and money have convinced us that we are defined by our possessions. They've convinced us that, that happiness is a function of, of how much we have. And that satisfaction, satisfaction, just one more purchase away. Now down deep, down deep we know it's not true. But the siren call of the false gods is just too seductive for us to resist. John D. Rockefeller said, I've made many millions, but they brought me no happiness. John Jacob Astor left a huge fortune of untold value when he died. But on his deathbed, he lamented, I am the most miserable man on earth. You know what? I suspect that like Rockefeller and Astor, the main emotion of adult Americans today, I'm talking about people just like us, Folks have had all the advantages of wealth and education and culture. I think that the main emotion of American adults today is disappointment. Disappointment. Why? Because they, they look at the sum total of their lives and, 
And they see how deceived they have been by the false gods. They've chased after this and chased after that, and it hadn't brought them happiness. They're miserable. They're disappointed. See, friends, the false gods will always let us down, but not the Lord God Almighty. That said, what, what does the Lord require of you and me? Well, I think what the Lord expects from you and me is illustrated in what Elijah does before he offers his prayer that afternoon on Mount Carmel. He does two things. The first thing he does is to, is to use, use those 12 stones to rebuild the altar that the Israelites had, had once used to worship the Lord God Almighty, but they let it all, all fall into disrepair. Because, see, they'd, they'd been seduced by those false gods. He repairs that altar. Friends, I think that's telling us that our relationships with the Lord need to be repaired. And when I say our I mean all of us. See, that's what the 12 stones are all about. Each stone represents one of the 12 tribes of the people of Israel. And when Elijah uses the 12 stones, what he is illustrating is that every person in every tribe had fallen short of God's expectations. That every person in every tribe needed to repent. Our relationships with the Lord need to be restored. And restoring our relationships with the Lord begins by acknowledging our sins. That's what Ash Wednesday was all about. That's what the Lenten season is all about. Friends, the hardest person to see is yourself. And the hardest thing to admit is that the face you're looking at in your mirror is the face of a sinner. See, friends, we, we just simply cannot ignore God's way by doing things our way and expect to stay in a right relationship with the Lord. No way. Rudyard Kipling was the poet lord of, of England a hundred or so years ago. He wrote a poem entitled Mandalay. Among the many things, he wrote a poem, Mandalay. I'll share just four lines with you. He said, ship me somewheres east of Suez, where the best is like the worst, where there aren't no Ten Commandments, and a man can raise a thirst. Friends, there's no place where there are no Ten Commandments. They're in force everywhere. And acknowledging that truth and acknowledging the fact that we have ignored those Ten Commandments for so long, that's the first step in restoring our relationship with the Lord God Almighty. And then after repairing the altar, what did, what did Elijah do? He offered 
a sacrifice. What do you reckon the sacrifice is that, that God expects from you and me? God demands that we repent from following this world's false gods by making him number one in our lives. First place. Not just any place, but first place. Remember those Ten Commandments was the first one? Have no other gods before me. From the get-go, God said, I want to be first. And when we start following the other false gods and we don't have God first in our lives, we're sinning. We need to repent. We need to change up. That's what that sacrifice was about. See? Friends, God is either the somebody in your life or he is a nobody in your life. Let that sink in. God is either the somebody in your life or he is a nobody in your life. And if the Lord is the Lord of your life, then it'll show in how you serve him with your time and talent and treasure. And that brings me to the greatest of the false gods. Money. Money. Why is money the greatest of the false gods? As I said there were three, power, status, and money. Why is money the greatest to those? Because money represents both power and status to us. Oh my goodness. We, we see piles of money as a fulfillment of all of our ambitions. We see piles of money as the key to opening the door to all of our hopes and all of our dreams. Jesus knew the significance of money in people's lives. He singled out money above all the other false gods. When he said, no, no one can serve two masters. You can't serve me and the false god money. Nobody can do that because either you're going to hate the one and love the other or you'll be devoted to the one and, and hate the other. You cannot serve God and money. See, folks, in the final analysis, money never delivers. Why? Because money is a false god. And money, and like all the false gods, will always let you down. We kind of bring the point home to you a little bit with a story from Matthew's Gospel, the 19th chapter that's probably familiar to most of you. It's about Jesus' encounter with a rich young man. The rich young man comes to him and, and he's rich. We want to be rich, don't we? He's rich. And the words that are used in the, in the Bible let us know that he doesn't have just a few shekels in his pocket. This guy is loaded. He is loaded. He's young. In the prime of his life, he's, he's, he's got years ahead of him to enjoy things. The Bible tells us he's also very religious. It says he keeps all the, all the commandments. And I, I look at the description of, of this fellow. I would think that 
that most of us would have a cutout of him, a big picture of him, plastered on the bedroom wall. Because he's who we'd want to be, see? Young kids have those sports stars. Adults, here's the rich young man on their wall. Want to be like him. But see, when the, when the fellow comes to Jesus, he's obviously miserable. Miserable. He had done, and he had done, and he had done, and still something was missing in his life. That's why he came to Jesus. I wonder, are you missing something in your life this morning? That rich young man had money and had his health, was religious, but still he's missing something. You know, it saddens me when I think about the rich young man. Because when I think about him, I, I think about, about all that he could done, that he could have done for good and for God if he used his resources for God's kingdom purposes. But see, he didn't. You know why he didn't? Because he had been seduced by the false god money, and he was possessed by his possessions. He was possessed by his possessions. But you know what? Jesus loved him anyway. And, and Jesus wanted him to, to savor the fullness of life. Jesus loved him so much that Jesus confronted him. And in essence, in essence said to him, son, you've you got to make a choice. You must choose between your possessions and me. Because see, your, 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 thing, your things are never going to give you eternal life. I will. Get rid of your false God and follow me. The young man's decision was a quick one. The scriptures tell us he went away sad. Why? Because he had great wealth. The false God or the Lord God. Here we are at Mount Carmel. Here we are in your home. He went away sad because he had great wealth. I, I wonder, what would you have done if you had been in that young man's shoes and Jesus had said that to you? What would you have done? Well, if you really want to know what you would have done, all you got to do is look at what you're doing. Look at the pattern of your life. Look at the choices you've been making. Look at the gods you've been serving. Because you see, the whole point of the passage is that each and every one of us is the rich young man. Hear me, friends. Choices have consequences. And no choice has a far more reaching consequence than the choice that we make about following Jesus. I bet 
that when that rich young man became the rich old man on his deathbed, I bet he was haunted, haunted by the decision they had made to walk away from Jesus. Let's pause for a minute and go back to, to where the young fellows presented with this choice. Follow the false gods or follow the Lord. And truth be told, I believe that that were we in that young man's shoes and we had to make that choice, I believe that most of us would make the very same choice the young man made. We'd walk away. But I don't think we'd walk away sad. In our day and time, I think we would walk away mad. We'd walk away mad at Jesus. Because Jesus would just expect he was asking too much. Asking too much. We'd have walked away mad because we'd have been thinking about all that Jesus was asking us to give up. And we would have given virtually no thought to what Jesus was offering us in return. Here's the bottom line, folks. The rich young man had everything that money could buy. But it was worthless compared to the experiences that Jesus was offering him. And the same thing could be said for many of us. We have everything that money could offer. But in the great scheme of things, it's worthless compared to the experiences that Jesus has offered us. Because you see, like the Erdogan diamond, we often pay a high price for things. And most often the price is too high. Too high. Peter Marshall great preacher of the last century, Presbyterian. He brought Elijah's confrontation with the prophets of Baal. He brought it into the 20th century when he preached a sermon on this passage. And, and in the passage, he made this statement. He's, he was the great preacher at the New York Avenue Presbyterian Church in Washington, D.C. He said this. He said, if God be God, then serve him. If Baal be God, then serve him and go to hell. Because you see, choices have consequences. Chase the false gods of this world if you want to. But choices have consequences. Friends of the Lord, God Almighty is always with us. He always hears. He always acts. The false gods are just, just like the false god Baal at Mount Carmel. They're always silent. When the lightning flashed and the offering was consumed on Mount Carmel, the people of Israel fell prostrate on the ground 
And they yelled out, the Lord, he is God. They made their choice. The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. My prayer for everybody today is as you go forth out into the world out here, as you go and mix among the folks who are following the false gods, as you talk to your friends and your friends talk to you and you look at each other and you say, we're chasing the wrong rabbit. My prayer is that the Lord would speak into your heart. And with your words and your deeds, your choices, the things you decide to do and not do, the words you say and don't say, that with, with all, of, all of your life, that you would testify, not by words, but by what you do, to the people that you roll around with, that you testify by your words and actions, by your life, that I'm not following the false gods anymore. The Lord, He is my God. The Lord, He is my God. Oh, I pray that it'll be so in your life, my friends. Let's pray. Friends, the lost, the false gods are, are all over the place. And oh, they sing such a sweet song. And we fall right into it. We start singing the tune. We start dancing the dance. And we're having a great time. But we're on the tr wrong trail. We're following the wrong leader. We're going along with the crowd. And the crowd is going to pay for the choices that they make. Lord, help me to see the crowd I'm running with. Help me to see the choices that I'm making. And, and help me to be reminded always that choices have consequences. And that no choice has a more far-reaching consequence than the choice we make about following Jesus. Help us to understand this world's not all there is. It's going to end. And then we're going to spend eternity somewhere. If the Lord, He is God, follow Him. If Baal is God, follow him and go to hell. <laughs>